Welcome to The Highway to Well with Derek Bell. Today we're talking to Maggie Goff, a registered dietitian who started Realize Wellbeing, an organization to create workplaces that exude energy and innovation through their people. Today we'll talk a lot about wellness in the face of crisis and what steps we can take day to day to live better and recapture our soul. Maggie's doing some amazing work in this arena. Let's hear about it on The Highway to Well. Welcome to the Highway to Well. Today we're talking to Maggie Goff, registered dietitian who started her own company, Realize Wellbeing. And that company is designed to create workplaces that exude energy and innovation through their people, which is a very lofty and amazing concept. So she provides consultation and training to help employers design meaningful work and cultivate a collaborative responsibility of the employers to build a healthy workplace. And that sounds so needed and necessary in today's world in such an interesting climate. But I want to ask you, Maggie, and and want to thank you so much for joining me today with all the other things that are going on in our worlds to take some time here to talk to talk to me and, and to any of our listeners here. But first I want you to talk about how you got to going from your your corporate setting and then and starting your own company and, and what was it that you wanted to accomplish with that and then i also want you to pivot to the current climate i want i want to know how vastly different the world is today than it was 10 days ago what does that mean and what what kind of conversations you're having i know you have a vast amount of resources and opportunities for people to listen share and grow so i want us to hit all those bases but let's start with the why. <laughs> why we're here talking today and, and what are you doing about the situation we're all in today? Yeah, thank you for having me. And you asked me first to kind of touch on my background. So um, as a dietitian, I started um, in kind of an interesting dietetics job where I was working in the call center of one of the nation's largest grocers. And so one, you know, I just answered a lot of questions like, no, that doesn't have gluten. Yes, that does have gluten. (laughs) Here's how you read an allergen label because those had just come out when I was working there. And so um, I also started to think there's a lot of data coming in to this call center about what people want to see when it comes to health in their food. And so I started aggregating the data coming in from the call center and sending out to branding teams, food development teams. And that, what I didn't know simultaneously was happening within the company was that they had partnered with a branding firm to look at what grocers could do in the space of health and wellness and how health and wellness could become a part of a brand of a store. And so I ended up on this committee with senior VPs of this massive company and like at the age of 26 ended up in a meeting. It was me and the CEO and Dr. David Katz. And I was just like, Oh, I'm going to work today. Okay. We're going to do this. Um, Anyway, it was interesting um, at the Wellcoa summit last year, I had the opportunity to run into 
David again. And I just said, you I'm, have, I'm sure have no idea who I am, but I'm that young woman who's in that <laughs> meeting. And he, we had a good little laugh about that. Um, but what was interesting was that never left committee work, right? It was big, big yeah. business. And you're talking about, you know, enterprise-wide change is, takes a long time. And so they also could never create a position for me outside of the call center. And, and call centers are challenging, challenging places to work, which I think was my first kind of entrance into the way in which the environment of a workplace and the, and the way that you design the work impacts the employee, right? So yeah. like in a work center, you can track everything a person's doing and with the wrong leadership in place, all of a sudden it becomes very paternal and toxic. Yeah. Um, and I witnessed a lot of that happening. So I needed to get out of there. I went and worked for a university and we worked, my job was to take care of students. So I used to jokingly say, um, my job is to get, you know, 18 to 22 year olds to think about their health, which is a big, a big job. It is. But I started to understand that if we could impact a few people really in meaningful ways, then they would share that with their friends. So it was kind of this concept of how do we make health and wellness viral, mm. you know, um, and so we had a lot of peer-developed programs. And interestingly, in this university, the student wellness and the employee wellness operated out of the same department, which is unique. Yeah. Because in universities, usually student wellness is under student life and employee wellness is under human resources. Right. And so in, in this um, university, there was some wisdom to know that we were all in the same boat in this organization and that if we were going to impact health and well-being, we could have some uniquely primed program for each population, but that we needed to understand the organization as a whole, mm -hmm. that those two things needed to work together. So we did that. Um, and so I, I became, I was promoted to the assistant director and I was seeing, overseeing both programs. Um, and we did cool work there. You know, we were able to do some research with um, some of the industrial and organizational psychology grad students on our programming and really just look at were we creating that, that influence around health and well-being. So some things started to change in that organization, and I wasn't sure where that was going to leave me in my position. So I thought, I have so much experience that I think I could lend to something like a biometric screening company, where that way I'd have access to go out and share what I know with other employers. And that was a real rude awakening for me. because <laughs> So I did do that, and it was a rude awakening for me because... You know, I didn't realize at that point in my career that most people in companies who were trying to do wellness were doing it like a quarter time as a part of another job yeah. and had almost no budget, were really reliant on the insurance broker and their wellness consultant and the insurance carrier and their wellness consultant to, to understand what they needed to do. And there wasn't a, a lot of understanding or awareness about the organization itself and how it might impact the employee's well-being. Mm -hmm. So at the same point in my life, I also found myself 
completely outside of my own well-being. So I was struggling with my professional purpose. My marriage was struggling. So um, I was in, you know, some professional failure. My marriage was struggling. I was suffering from postpartum anxiety, which goes largely undetected because we screen for depression, but not for anxiety. So I was really a mess. I was really, really struggling. And I, in that stress, was experiencing a lot of the things that I had read about, you know, my inability to focus, my inability to understand what was a real threat and what was not a threat. Meaning like, you know, every email that I got, every communication, my relationships, everything just felt so hard. And I was just really in burnout and struggle. Mm-hmm. And so I hit this point where I had to look at the work that we were delivering through health and wellness and wonder if any of it would have helped me mm. at that point in my life. Mm-hmm. And it was a real reckoning because, you know, it, the answer is it wouldn't. Mm. It was no, nothing I had ever created in my career would have helped me in that moment. So I ended up um, starting my own business because, you know, I knew that we were doing a lot of things wrong and I wanted to know how we could make them right. Yeah. Which is an interesting place to start a business. Usually you start a business when you have a concept that you have a sense will work. And I just knew that (laughs) I had a lot of concepts that were not working anymore. And so a part of my journey in my own business was really showing up and starting to speak truth. Yeah. About the systems that weren't working for people. And so what I say now is that what I do, I I'll say, to people, you know, that the garden party where people go, what do you do for a living? I say, I do corporate health and wellness. And they look at me like, oh, so you do fitness challenges. And I say, no, (laughs) I used to do that. What I do now is I help the employer understand how they are either amplifying or diminishing an employee's Mm well-being. And then they just go, whoa. And then really savvy people say, Does, will people hire you to do that? Because I don't think most of them want to know, <laughs> <laughs> which is, is a challenge. Yes. Those, those, those are some deep truths being dropped and it's peel back the onion. You're not sure what you're going to find. Definitely. Yeah. And so, so then you embarked on this path with realize well-being and and, and how has that journey gone? You know, um, all the things that they tell you about starting your own business are true. <laughs> but every person who ever starts a business doesn't actually want to believe those things are true. Because, sure. because to, to be an entrepreneur, you really have to be almost like um, insanely optimistic. And it's like, okay, I'm willing to bet on myself right now. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, so for the first couple of years, I really spent a lot of time healing myself, getting back in touch with people who were struggling and really listening to their stories, which I don't know that I had done a very good job of before. So I remember being in um, a manufacturing facility and talking with a young man who said, what is it that you do? And I said, you know, my job is to help your employer take good care of you. And without like missing a beat, I said, um, which 
I'm much better at now because I got better at listening to people like you. And so if there's anything that you want for me to know that I can anonymously share with your employer that would be helpful, that's my job. It's my job to be an advocate for you in your workplace. So I, I did that. And then it was like, so, so we started off doing some one-on-one coaching and listening to those stories and helping people. And then it, we had, we did it totally differently than anything we had done before. So we didn't prescribe anything. We just really became a partner for the individual and the work that they needed to do in their own life. And we reminded them that they were worthy of what they wanted to do in their lives. Um, We let them rumble with things in our presence and reminded them that they weren't crazy for, for wondering the things that they wondered and thinking that they needed to make some shifts and prioritize different things. Because usually the things that we need to prioritize for our well-being, society does not advocate for. Mm-hmm. So you really end up being kind of countercultural in your ability to advocate for yourself and your own well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happened was that, of the people who came to work with us had uh, reported higher levels of well-being on the Cantrell's wellness ladder after a year. And that is better work, more successful work than I have ever done in my entire career. And then as a business owner, the challenge that I was facing is that that's a huge investment for employers to pull people off of work Mm -hmm. to allow them to come work with us for a year, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, not only are they paying our company to deliver that, but they're also paying for the time for the person to be off work. Now, I have no doubt that that paid dividends because in some instances on that ladder that we were, the scale we were using, some people improved so much that they went from anytime you move three points or more, it's a, it's a highly significant shift. And we had 30% of that 70% that moved three points or more. So if you want to think about that person's absenteeism, presenteeism, loyalty to the company for providing that service, mm-hmm. all of those aspects of that person's well-being and what that meant for the employer, I'm certain it paid dividends. But also, I wasn't finding a lot of companies that were willing to make that kind of investment. Right. The other interesting thing that I started noticing was that there was a word of mouth movement that began to take place in an organization. So, one woman ended up recruiting five other people from her office to come see me, not because she was like, selling for us, but because she just was talking about what she was experiencing. And it was totally different than anything that they had ever done before for their health and well-being, right? We weren't prescribing diets and meal plans and fitness routines. We were letting people deepen into their own wisdom. And there was something like, and really inherently good about that, that more people wanted. Yeah. And so... So the question becomes for an employer, 
or and for me as a business owner is how do you scale that kind of goodness that happens on a one-on-one level? Mm -hmm. And um, I started looking back into my research around self-determination theory, Mm -hmm. which is a modern motivational theory that helps understand behavior change and what people need to increase their likelihood of change. And within self-determination theory, there's a concept called autonomous extrinsic motivation. And what it means is that we will adopt behaviors that are endorsed by others. So at the time, I had a friend um, who did a lot of work in um, word of mouth marketing, and he and I would jump on phone calls and just like bat around different ideas and talk about, you know, our lofty sense of the world. And um, I said, you know, I think there's something in this. I think there's something around this idea of like the way that we adopt other people's behaviors and how even if you have a small group of people who are experiencing big change, how that impacts the the culture of the company over time, how we begin to influence the people around us. And he said, oh yeah, we use that all the time in marketing. We call it micro influence and we have a ton of research on it. Which, you know, I have to laugh because I feel like it's like so much of my career has been like backing into things. <laughs> and uh, so I so I started looking at the autonomous extrinsic motivation and I started looking at the way that marketers were using micro influence to get us to buy, change our purchasing behaviors, right? Like how do how yeah. do how yeah. am I more likely to buy an iPhone because you and I on a podcast talked about an iPhone, like whatever, like that's what they're doing. They're capitalizing on that influence that we have with each other. So for me as a business owner, the evolution has really been about the power of like healthy social connection. And when we offer from the core of who we are, how that changes the people around us. And so I was at a leadership retreat, um, with some of our mutual friends, you know, Ryan from Walcoa and Jen Arnold and, um, you know, Mitch Martins. And they, we were talking about this concept and some of them had mentioned, you know, it's, this is really progressive, but the reality is, is that it's not very progressive. It's actually quite ancient. Which I think we so desperately need right now is something that roots us into something more than yes. the next thing to buy, the next wellness challenge, the next weight loss thing, the next, the next way that we can move faster and be better and outperform and prove and perfect all of those things. And so it's the, for me, it's, the fact that this is ancient that grounds me in this work. And here's what I mean. There's a, there's an ancient Greek word, exousia. And what it means is that when we operate out of the core of our being, people grant us the authority to lead. They will follow that. So you think back to this woman who had been struggling with her health for years started working with realized well-being through her employer and just offering from the core of who she was to her team members five other people said that we want that that's good that speaks to what we need right 
that speaks to what we know, like a deep sense of wisdom. And so for me, um, what we've done is we've taken that body of work and formed several trainings around it. So we can go in and we can talk to leadership and say, if you want to build a different kind of wellness model that comes from the core of who you are as a business that leans into really solid motivational, psychological, behavioral theory that creates influence in your organization. We can, we can train you on that. And then you can take that and do what you want with it. Let it change you. Let it change the way you see your work with your people. Um, We also do that within teams. So we go in and we talk about the way that people influence each other in teams and the way we either amplify each other or diminish each other. So we say in that training, the unfortunate thing is based on the science, misery does love company. But the fortunate thing is that also based on the science, joy loves company. And so it's putting culture back in the hands of people. Mm -hmm. Um, Ryan shared with me recently, culture means to care for. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's so good. So really, when we talk about a workplace culture, what we're really inviting people into is an understanding of how they care for one another. And what kind of brand does that create for your company? Right. That's what your that's what your consumers experiencing when they interact with your company. Exactly. So so we've taken this body of work and we've done a couple of different things with it. Like I said, we've C-suite strategy, teams. Um, we've got one called Culture Keepers, where if you want to take a cohort of of influencers in your company and bring them together and we'll train them and then they can spread back out into your company and and deliver that work in their own teams we could do that and then the last one is um, a train the trainer where we're giving this work to practitioners in workplaces so that they can lead this work in their own company because again this is ancient wisdom it's offering from the core of who you are so if we can give that to people who do this work inside organizations think of think of what they can change and how much we'll continue to spread, make viral this goodness that we want to see in the world for our own well-being. Right. Right. Well, I have so many different points that I've just been noting and, and and this is something that, that I've been advocating for as well. And, And it helps me remind my father, this is why I took all the philosophy classes I did in college. So, it, the things that we talk about, it's so, and Brian Luke Seward and I had this great conversation on, on a previous podcast a few weeks ago about how, and this, so the, the environment for wellness is changing and the current dynamics are voices like yours who say, we, there, there's a, there's a part of this that is a soul searching activity and you can't quantify that you can't put that in an ROI so stop wasting our time doing that this is bigger than that and these are questions of our existence and our soul and our soul's core like you talk about like and and, the, and it's interesting because isn't that exactly what we've been discussing when we start talking about being authentic what we're really talking about is is developing your values and, and finding your purpose and finding your why. And and if you are 
if you're engaged in that activity, then yes, you can lead others to the, to the water. And, and, it, and I've been working with groups on, so when we talk about purpose and our why, you know, I've been working with groups to take, let's take a step back and like, like you have been talking here about is discovering for ourselves who are we? And one of the greatest activities I've had so much fun working with people on is I have them sit down and do some identity mapping, role mapping, and kind of figure themselves out first. Just lay everything out on a piece of paper and draw it, write down what's good about it, what's bad about it. What do you feel like you need to be good at to be a better family member? And, you know, get them to start uncovering themselves a little bit. And then after we go through some process with that, then I have them set it aside and then I have them draw themselves as an object. And then I've had more people be brought to tears about talking about their life experience when they just start drawing. And and it's great because if you tell them to draw themselves, then they all freak out because no one's a Picasso or Rembrandt. So, but if you tell them to draw themselves as an object, then you start getting into thinking, you get them to think about like, what do I give? So, and for the most part, it's what I get and what I give this, that duality of their life. And then they start to uncover that they feel burdened by, and then their stressors at work or their organization isn't uh, a rewarding place to work. And in that, that entire soul searching process for them is why it's an eye opening thing. And, and you're taking it to that entire level that I love hearing uh, the, and I love also hearing that you're bringing in self-determination theory because I teach behavior change theory. So I'm going to make all of my students listen to someone who's talking about this in a way that makes such great sense. This theory is stuff. It's not new. It's like, you, it, like if you talk to marketing people, they already have all these theories that they just call them something else and then social influence. And then we figure out why we all love certain things in the marketplace. And Malcolm Gladwell has been discussing this forever about our tipping points for change. So None of this is new, but for us in the wellness field and, and you know, like talk about with meeting with Mitch and, and Ryan and talking about these issues, like these are progressive ideas because we're stuck in an industry where I just saw a, a high level wellness director position at a major corporation that on the face of it, you, you think, oh my gosh, how incredible would it be to work for this level of a company and manage their health and wellness? And then you start to read into the, in the job description and it's all HR driven. And you just want to scream saying, no, that's, that is why we're in this place we are with wellness, where you have the most wonderful people talking about the things that matter most that will make actual change happen and make organizations function and grow. And people love working. I mean, at the end of the day, all, if we just focus on people loving the places they work and how can you make that happen, then you're doing that. And that's what, that's what we should be doing. And I don't care if you have an ROI, you're probably keeping better people and they're more engaged. So however you want to calculate that, feel free get your actuarial people to figure that out for you, that your turnover rate is suddenly different. But at the end of the day, we're talking about that, that authentic personal experience. And when people have the opportunity to talk about that, it, there's your wellness, that's your wellness program. Like I, I have been asked to do, and I talk about this story often because I was asked by this company to come and do a men's health talk. 
So I asked the company, well, what do you mean you want me to come do a men's health talk? Well, let's scare, and this is honestly what they told me, scare them with the numbers. Because we know men don't engage in health, et cetera, et cetera. They're more likely to die at an earlier age. There's so much statistical data. Public health has, you know, been very good about providing for us. And, and, I'm, and, and so I agreed. I was new. I was new in my practitioner field. And I walked in and gave this men's health talk to a room full of um, machinists. And some of them fell asleep. I, I know some of them didn't like me as soon as I walked in the room because it's the wellness guy. And, they're just here to check off their box for their HR benefit plan. So, okay. So I get through that talk and I felt awful about it. So I went back to the company and I said, look, I know what you want to do here, but I have another idea. I want to talk about our purpose. I want to talk about the, the journey of, and I can talk about it in men, you know, if I'm talking to men, I can, I can frame it as that, but I want to talk about things that matter to us, like our families and our lives and our work and our spirit and our soul. And there's plenty of research that talks about optimism and happiness. Like I can make sure that it's, it's, it's anchored in some data for you, if that makes you feel better. But I want to talk about building something for them that they can do. So I had him go through some of these exercises and at the end of, and, and so I went back to the same company. And so I previously had not really gotten much of a response from anyone other than, uh, thank you for coming, you know, and scaring us kind of talk. But then I had, I had a guy come up to me who was, a he was one of the four, one of the managers and he came up and you could tell he wanted to say something because he kind of looked over his shoulder to see if anyone else was around. And he kind of just leaned in and he just said, I just, I just want to say thank you. And then he's like, I've, I'm pretty broken and I needed to hear something. And I just was floored. Like this wasn't something I was expecting. I wasn't expecting to do any kind of health coaching on that day. But here I was with someone who wanted to talk. And then he talked to me about his, his family life breaking down and going through a divorce and may, trying to manage that. And then being in a work in a field that he used to love, but he doesn't love it anymore. But now he's so high in the managerial chain that he doesn't know what he can do. He doesn't know how to, he doesn't just know how to, he doesn't know how to navigate his lack of inspiration in his work. And he used to be a good athlete, but he's not anymore. And he just started breaking down through all these different stressors in his life. And no one at the company level was going to ask him about these things and no one cares. Like that's not their, they're there to produce things and get it done on a timely schedule and show up to work. And that environment, that doesn't help anyone. And so the work that you're doing to try to get an organization to listen to these, these pieces is, is absolutely tremendous. And, and, and I, you know, and, and like we've talked about, uh, so moving from where we've gone and where we built to here we are in the middle of a large crisis and that organizational setting is different than it was 10 days ago. So how have you pivoted to answer the call for help from employers and, and people and not, you know, employer and the employees and people, our worlds are now completely intertwined in such a way that it, it is a challenge to just live every day. We don't have our safe spaces to go to. Like we can't go to our work and hide out for a period of time and not, not be at home. Also trying to figure out your kid's schedule. What are they going to have for lunch? When do they do math? <laughs> well, how much art can they, I mean, 
you know, these are real things that we're all struggling with. And then you got meetings at two o'clock and, and half the people, they're technical, they're, it's not working properly. So everyone's asking who's on the call, who's on the call. So here we are. How can, how can, what are you telling us that can help us get through this? I think you got a few things. I do have a few things. So in some ways for me, you know, this is when I, when you were talking about the work that you're doing, it's, it's in lockstep with what I'm doing. You know, before what we used to do is somebody would come to us and say, I'm broken. And we would hand them a system of living that would make them not broken anymore. And in this way, what we're doing is we just keep saying to people, we point that we point people back to themselves and we say everything that you need, you have, and we'll, we'll be with you as you work to figure that out and design your life in a way that's meaningful because everyone has this own, their own very unique life and what they're dealing with. And so when you talk about the, the crisis that we're living in right now, this pandemic, the workplace itself does not currently exist in its, in the form than it did before, unless you are one of those, unless you're a grocery store employee, which I can't even imagine what their life is like right now, or a hospital employee, which a lot of my friends who work in hospital systems are like, it's just eerie here yeah, right now. <laughs> we're, just, we're just waiting. And so for me, when I think about, you know, um, one of my clients, they sell copiers and printers and, you know, other clients are universities or manufacturing companies. And so their work has changed dramatically. And in many ways, um, the work that, the, the way that people need well-being is what I've been preaching for so long. So, you know, um, we are, we're really returning to what is just essential. And right now, every person in their home, their work situation is so unique. And our job is really to try to provide those basics of well-being and help people design a life that works for them. Like you said, it's like, well, it's three o'clock and you know, how much more Play-Doh can we use to, <laughs> to teach our kids about math? I don't know. Um, but what we're doing is um, I have partnered with Wellcoa to develop two toolkits that should be coming out um, in the next two weeks. One is geared specifically towards the practitioners, the HR directors, and the leadership. So it's like communication tactics. How do we ensure that we are being assertive and gentle and empathetic? How are we level setting our own expectations at this time? Are we leaning into um, healthy dynamics or are we leaning into scarcity? So what I mean by that is, you know, there's a module in this toolkit that's going to come out that's specifically about instead of having your employees track every task that they do and lean into micromanagement and scarcity, can you look, help, can you coach your managers to look into benchmarks? 
of critical work that need to be met right now and and then give your employees some autonomy to get that done um because we all know that asking your employees to log every task only creates more work for them and then more work for the manager mm-hmm. and really leans into scarcity and micromanagement in a situation where we all need a lot more grace and gentleness and autonomy to make this work. So it's a toolkit that is really designed for, for the practitioner, for the leadership in a company. We address self-care level setting expectations, communication tactics, supporting managers, all of those aspects. And then the second toolkit that we're working on is 20 resources that are well-being for the employee. So you can grab and go, either you can send these out on a daily basis or send them out on a weekly basis, however long you want to spread those out. But they are meant for the person who is in their home trying to do work life right now. So, you know, how do you how do you find a sense of a new normal with your work life? How do you find a new sense of normal with your family life? Mm-hmm. And um, I was one of those people where when this all went down, you know, I usually work from home, but my kids are in school. And so then it was like, okay, I'm going to work from home and homeschool my kids. And um, one of my favorite authors, Glennon Doyle, said on a webcast recently, you becoming a teacher in a pandemic would be like me becoming a scientist. Like, it's not going to happen. Like, people have whole degrees in this. And so it's like, how do we, it's giving individuals some tips just around developing a little bit of a routine and where can you find some themes that are going to help your family like find a schedule and of course there are people who don't have families and what is that like for them and you know before we've been focusing in wellness a lot around social connection and while on one point we're all talking about social distancing but we're also living in this time where we are more deeply connected than ever before And one of my friends put it so well. She said, not only are all of my friends and family in my household through social media, but now all of my work people are in my household and all of their families are in my household. Yes. It's like, like our kids are popping in the background of our calls, you know, (laughs) um, in recorded podcasts. (laughs) And so all this sudden, it's like, everyone's chaos is kind of in our home. Yes. And so while I think we need to be, we need good social connection right now to help us deal with the anxiety and the aspects of crisis that are really hard. We also need to recognize that we don't need an abundance of social connection. Mm -hmm. We need intentional quality connection and because it's it's really overwhelming the amount of connectedness that we have right now so there are times when you know turn turn your email off while you're working on a project if you can do that you know like which however you can create these so I focus a lot on um, micro moments of well-being Because again, so much of the way that we can design our lives to nourish ourselves and help us find well-being on a daily basis is through small, really small moments of intentionality. Mm -hmm. So well-being is not this thing that's light years away that you're going to 
chase through the right proving that you're you can do the diet plan and the fitness challenge well-being is really something that's more fluid that i think that we move in and out of on a daily basis um and so I can be in a, I can have a lot of well-being when I'm working on these toolkits and feeling a strong sense of professional purpose um, and focus and my anxiety is low because I feel like I'm doing something positive about what's happening in the world. And then an hour later, I'm trying to help with math homework while cooking dinner and making sure the Play-Doh doesn't get smashed on the floor. And I am way outside of my well-being. So I think it's like, how in that moment do we give ourselves the opportunity to just pause and breathe, which is also well-being. So these toolkits are really designed, I think, to, to, for me, it's what I've been preaching for a while. And so it's like getting that out into the world because it's getting back to the basics and really essential care for employees in this time. Yeah, I, I can't, I, I can't express how, you know, much I agree with your, you know, your approaches and, and your thoughts here. I mean, and that's what we, we talked about this right before we, we started the podcast about how in the midst of tragedy and, and this crisis, this is a really welcome opportunity. And when I say welcome, I mean, we may not have been asking for it or realized we needed it, but it's here. And we have this opportunity to dive into ourselves, which is what we've been, what we've been breaching for a while. And that goes back to the original formation of in the wellness field. You look back and you're talking about a humanistic approach to living well, not disease prevention, chronic disease management, not sickness care. No, that's healthcare. What we're talking about is the, you know, the foundations of this field were built on psychology and, and, and on um, school counseling. So like, you know, people from the university setting who are, who are at the developmental phase of developing good habits. So it's forward thinking, forward looking, but it's on that, like you said, on your day-to-day approach to your micro moments and, and what is, you know, and Brian Luxiever and I were talking about screen, you know, screen addictions and how one of the things that is a high risk for all of us is that we do end up being too connected or spend too much time focused on the social media because that's where everyone is and we don't take the time. And so people like us are advocating, no, so you have the time. So let's use that time. And so if it's, for me, it's been spending about, you know, breaking up my day so that I I go out into our front yard and I coach my seven-year-old. We play one-on-one soccer games for 10 or 15 minutes. And then I come back in and and, and from those, and then I have some meetings and and like, you know, our professional work that, that we're we're getting excited about. And, and so like, you know, like the Wellcola toolkits initially for us at, at, the healthcare organization I work for. I mean, that's what we saw right away was there's so much of a focused attention on immediate care needs. Our wellness group, we got together and said, what's, what's not happening is we're about to send everyone home and they don't know how to do that. They don't know how to schedule things or they feel the pressure of being a homeschool teacher. You're not, you're not a teacher, you're a parent. And yes, we all have to help our kids navigate education, but we can't re- we can't replicate a classroom. So 
let's talk about that. Let's talk about how can we schedule a day so that your kids are getting the appropriate things they need, but you're also getting what you need. And those, and you're having moments where every day you feel like you're getting closer to what you value and what you care about the most, and then sharing that with the world around us. And and that's where your work is, is absolutely needed, warranted and appreciated. And, and I know that you've, we you talked about, I want you to talk to about some of the other areas where you're sharing information so that people can get that. Yeah. So right now, so every week on Instagram and Facebook, which I just have my own personal pages, people can go follow me or friend me there. Um, So it's Maggie, M-A-G-G-I-E, last name Goff, G-O-U-G-H. And you can find me on Facebook or Instagram. And I do also, if you want to connect on LinkedIn, um, but a lot of the a lot of the things that we do every week I do a video on a micro moment of self-care. And we talk about, and I, and then every Wednesday there's a mini blog. And so right now, again, we're shifting a lot of that work to be um, focused on the way people are responding to COVID-19 and a pandemic But what's fascinating to me is I had a four-week series on micro moments of self-care and um, four weeks uh, in the mini blog on being present, Mm. being fully present in our work. And so um, my social media manager came to me and she said, um, hey, I think you've got to you know, you've got to write some new blogs. And I said, I don't know. And I went back and I read them and I literally just had to add like a statement at the top (laughs) that was like, Hey, I I wrote these three weeks ago, but they are more important now than ever before for us to think about this. Right. And so I would say definitely if people can go follow me there, that's always there. If you work in wellness, you can text the word amplify, A-M-P-A-M-P-A-M-P-A-M-P-A-M-P-A-M-P-A-M-P-A-M-P-A-M-P-A-M-P-A-M-P-A-M-P-A-M-P-A-M-P-A-M-P-A-M-P-A-M-
and she jokingly has been answering her phone, COVID command center, um, which is what I think a lot of us in our work are doing right now is we've become the command centers in our workforces to respond to this. So I, I, I also think though, at the point at which we start to transition back to, to some standard or previously normal life, um, we will not, we will have a new normal. Mm. I think there are going to be employees who are going to say, um, but I was working from home before and I didn't have to commute and it worked really well. Mm-hmm. And why can I not do that again? And so right now what's happening is like for years we've been talking about doing, uh, we've been encouraging employers to consider more ways to be supportive of work-life integration you know, work-life mindfulness, work-life balance, whatever you want to call it. We are right now in the world's greatest pilot project for work from home life. So what there's, there's, there's some meaningful information to be collected. Like who are your leaders that have emerged through this process? Right. right? Um, What went well about working from home? What didn't, go well if we were going to do this what other resources might we put into place right how could we structure things a little bit differently and so i think what i what i want to do is also give these people who who are literally just staying afloat right now that what's next toolkit because it will help you respond to that new normal in a way that's meaningful for your employees where you can listen. So that will be on my website in a couple of days as well. Excellent. And we'll, I'll make sure that we in our promo listing have all of this information for people who are scrambling to grab a pen or a crayon or rolling Play-Doh numbers and words together. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I was doing that literally before I came on here with, That's it's a relevant example. It, it's it's all of our examples now, and I and I think it's so appropriate that when that's we uh, you know in our toolkit within um, our healthcare group we we were talking so initially we put in some resources about today, but I asked my team like start thinking about tomorrow and in, in, in a month and two months and let's not wait and then be caught behind that for the people that we're serving in, in the largest, you know, largest nonprofit healthcare organization in the country. Let's think about what can we do to help them before that comes. And then like you're, you, you're on that end too of helping your HR team. And no, undoubtedly we're going to, there's no longer good. We're not going back to what we had before. We all just need to get comfortable with whatever we did prior to the beginning of March. Like that life isn't going to happen anymore. There's going to be variances and differences. And you're bringing up the, uh, such a great point about work, about work-life harmony. And while the movement's been there to get a flexibility and and adequate means so people can work remotely and all these things. We're learning the best ways to do it within our own units. But, and like you said, there's going to be different leadership. There's going to be different leaders that emerge and there's going to be different leadership practices. And your point about benchmarking versus um, keeping tallies on everything that somebody does. I, we've been talking about that as a, as a wellness team in a, in a high 
function in an environment that is absolutely numbers crunching everything. And what we do is more benchmarking than it is um, like showing up in a clinic floor. Like we're not, we're not RNs caring for patients on, on floor two at the hospital, but we're part of that same group. So how can we talk about our, our ROI to the company differently and our, the investment that we provide and, and benchmarking is one of those things. So like there's these pieces scattered throughout this work life way that we're going to learn. And some of it will be to our benefit, but some of it could be, you know, employees are going to be demanding things. And that, may, that those are good conversations. And like you said, we're, you're returning the culture to the employee. You're turning it back to the people and every organization that does that now will benefit and we'll have a lot of people wanting to come work for them because of the way they treated their employees today. Yeah, I saw a meme that came out and it said, me in every future interview, sir, do you have any questions? Me, yes. How did you treat your employees during the pandemic? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, uh-huh. That's, first of all, I don't know that a lot of people are going to ask that because it's a pretty pointed question and I don't know that you'd necessarily get an honest answer. But I do think that, you know, um, people, this is what's happening right now is very meaningful. And I unfortunately got off a call earlier today where someone was describing um, some workplaces where they just like cut everybody's salaries in half. Yeah. And then said, you know, and if you quit, then we don't have to pay you severance right? Like there are companies who do that, who, yeah. who are responding in that way. There are also companies who are responding and saying, this is the financial reality of the situation we're in. And it's a big deal, but we're in it together and we're going to be transparent and we're going to do our best to take care of everyone. Yeah. Two very different responses. Right. And I think, you know, um, it really comes down to people um, showing their exousia, like what is driving from the core of their being yeah. and, and whether people will end up allowing you to lead. Yes. It, that's where we are. Yeah. That's yeah. It's interesting times. And, you know, again, there's a, I think there are some good things that come from this, but it, the good will only come from it if we wrestle with, the grief that we feel around it as well. Yeah. So, you know, I don't want to say, you know, oh man, this is going to be so good because it's only going to be so good because we're in this really, really tough place and allowing ourselves to sit collectively in that pain for a moment. Yeah. 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 It's, I think that's the, that's the part that the painful part of it. We're all, I think this, the survivor you know, we're, we're in that mode now where we're surviving and we're thinking and we're trying, but there's moments where you just, if you take a second and, and maybe, you know, and we need those moments too. Like, and, and I'm not, I'm not afraid to admit that I was out on a run and I heard Bruce Springsteen's the rising and I don't usually cry much to Bruce Springsteen, but it definitely like there was something about the song in the moment and just, being remembering vividly 9-11 and the reason why he wrote the song has something to do with it but but we, we all have an emotional stake in you know in this and we all have a need to take care of that and sometimes it is to let it out a little bit because we're handling far more 
inputs than we had to before. And, and it's, and it's changing the way that we think about our world and our companies and every, everything is kind of out on the table about how people are operating now. And, and I hope it takes us to a better place. And I'm hopeful. I'm an optimist. That's why I'm in, that's why I'm in wellness is I have a unfettering optimism about the goodness of our souls, but um, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not, not a very big Thomas Hobbes fan, but you know, we'll, we'll all get, we'll all get through this somehow. And I hope that when we, once it's, it's in front of us that we're all better organization down, people down, families down and togetherness. Yeah. I want to leave us with this. The word crisis means to sift. And so if you imagine, you know, um, when you are looking for like gems on the beach, you've got that little sifter Yeah, and it's like, you have to let everything fall away. And that's not, that's not a comfortable process when we live it in real life. And that's what we're, we're experiencing. But I do think that in reality, we are finding the gems that we need to hold on to the real goodness of life that's left for us. So thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It was such a nourishing conversation. (laughs) Thank you, Maggie. And I appreciate and wholeheartedly applaud everything you're doing. And I can't wait to connect everyone to you and to continue to see what you're bringing um, because we're all paying attention to, to, these things and helping us get through our days too. So thank you. Thank you.